Hello and welcome to the Hash Rugby Trap brought to you by Driving Mall. Hi, I'm Paul, the guy behind Driving Mall, your best place rugby predictions and opinion. And uh, cheers, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Um, and it's uh, been a, a decent day uh, today. Lovely weather and all of that kind of stuff. And two guys who are running around and hassled because they've actually got... Well, actually, no, one of them's got a job. The other one hasn't. Um, Stephen, I, yeah, you've got a job. You're allowed to be hassled and, and stressed. Yeah. How are you doing, sir? Not too bad. Hassled and stressed. And, <laughs> and Ashwin... And stressed after working a long day. <laughs> working a long day, yes. Um, and Ashwin, you, you, you've got no excuses. Um, so uh, so ah. why, why were you running late running around? Oh, no, I'm hassled and stressed. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to create a business. <laughs> trying to create a business. Oh, oh. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, just the consultancy side of things. Um, and then uh, I actually got just just to digress away from rugby. I uh, just got a phone call from um, a, a friend today asking about um, uh, how how to do some fiber and 4K TV and stuff. So. Gonna go give him a hand. So yeah, no, there's plenty of uh, irons in the fire. Plenty of irons in the fire. <laughs> Plus the kids to look after. Oh dear. Well, good. Well, if you'd like to do any cable uh, sponsorship of this, com- this of this channel, you're more than welcome. Um, <laughs> so let's get uh, let's let's get onto these things. Um, so eligibility, then, folks, because we, this is one of the ones that's been knocking around recently, um, and so we thought we'd better come back and have a look at this. Um, obviously, a whole bunch of uh, particularly. Uh, Pacific Island, sort of Tongan and uh, other um, players like that have been um, making a bit of noise. I mean, it's particularly, particularly being Tonga around pit players like, pardon me, Charles Piatau, etc., about being locked into one country. Um, do you think it's right? Do you think people should be able to change countries or, or, or should we be, um, be locked into one country, Steve? Oh, it's not. <clears throat> I think, I think there, there, there might be sort of special circumstances especially if somebody you know decides to to relocate back to their back to their <clears throat> excuse me back to their country of of, of origin but yeah I'm, I mean so I'm, I'm not I think there has to be some sort of some sort of rule in place for them to, to actually play for another country a stand down a stand stand down period is is probably good enough for me but you know before, I was just thinking before we even get there oh. I really do think that um Basically, I know we got the Players Association, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They take prospective professional players through a whole lot of <clears throat> sort of uh, guidelines in and around professional rugby, and I and, and I just wonder if they actually talk to players or younger players in and around eligibility. I know there's a lot of Pacific Island rugby players that that come through New Zealand age group, and they all sort of look at being a look at being All Blacks, but you know, I, I just wonder if there's an, a, enough talk with, you know, not not just the players, but managers, parents, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. because I, I think there's, I think in this in this sort of format at the moment with professional rugby, where you can play anywhere in the world, I think there's an opportunity to play for your country of birth, and I, I do wonder with some players if they actually look at the bigger holistic picture. Say, for example, somebody like a, a Lilia Masanga who played I think one test maybe one or two tests for the All Blacks but gee he'd be pretty handy running around playing for uh for Samoa is he someone I, I think he yeah, is I think so. um you know I think they've just got to look at the big bigger picture am I gonna you know if I crack the All Blacks am I gonna have a long career 
with this team. I'm, I'm playing Super Rugby already, so there's an op- there's an opportunity to head overseas. So I think you know a little bit of groundwork's got to be, in my opinion, has got to be done by the player even before they're given the option. Yeah, and the the, the, the rugby players' associations aren't very flush with cash at the moment. They don't. Uh, they're, they're not big organisations as, as some of those, uh, but. And their main goals really are trying to um, uh, are more, are more around the transition of players out of rugby uh, and base, uh, and contract disputes uh, rather than some of the other stuff uh, around things. I mean, they, they are getting involved in some education pieces um, around sort of doping and stuff. But as far as uh, those sort of career choices, I'm not sure how involved or if they do anything in that kind of in, in that kind of vein. I think that's left up more to uh, player agents. Um, than, than anything else. I think those agents uh, need to... And agents aren't necessarily a bad thing. Um, and uh, before you ask me if Steve Hale has sent me a check, no, he hasn't. Um, the, um, but, um, <laughs> um, but they, uh, I do think they do need to be regulated um, and, uh, and have a certain level of training and education to show they actually know what they're talking about um, to be allowed to represent players. Uh, and a, a bit like a financial advisor has to know, has to um, prove he knows about finance, finances before he's allowed to um, advise people. I think something similar uh, should be in place for uh, player agents um, as, as well, to be honest, um, so that they actually understand what what contracts are you actually signing your client up to. Do, do, you, do you understand con- contract law? Do you understand uh, some of the other um, um, stuff as, um, as, as well? Um, so, yes, I'm not sure if, if it's necessarily the, the PFA's or the, 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 um, or the PFA, well, um, the RPA's uh, Rugby Players Association, um, uh, to 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 be be in that space. But I think somebody should be. You're um, you, you, you're quite right. Um, now, this um, Ashwin, where, where where do you stand on this? Oh, look, I, I think it's a mess. To be honest, um, the eligibility rules. Um, something needs to be put in place. Uh, the, the the number of players that are going from the southern hemisphere, uh, I mean, all of a sudden doing a very short residency period or through some grandparents. Slow you down there, mate. We'll talk about residency yeah. and we'll talk about some um, oh, okay, uh, grandparents okay. later. Right. Just, so just you just want to lock some, into the old one year at the moment? In terms of locked into one country, um, I, I think there is scope there for some loosening of being locked into one country. Um, I, I'm, I've liked the idea around um, the tier one versus tier two countries. Obviously, that's something that has to be defined. But you know, the fact that you've played for a tier one com- com- country, like Lilia Masanga, um, uh, and played one or two games, and then basically never going to get picked for the All Blacks again. But you know, precludes them from Samoa. Uh, so I, I think there's some scope there to to um, look at if you're moving down the, in terms of um, the rankings of the countries, that there's some um, leniency. Uh, but interesting enough, just while Steve was talking about, uh, talking before, and you mentioned Lele Masanga, he's actually born in Wellington and uh, obviously played up, moved up, moved up uh, very early doors to South Auckland. So, the connection for him is just parents. He's not actually born in the islands either. So it's a heritage thing for him rather than uh, anything else. Well, so it's a lot of, there's a lot of messiness around that side of things too, which is again, another item we'll talk about later. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about the heritage side. Of the yeah. I'm not a great fan of this stand down one. 
Um, because I think you end up sort of with players who are kind of in their twilight of their careers going back and uh, and picking up the old cap or two. Uh, but but I do I, I am with I am along this sort of line of players who just get one cap or maybe sort of five and less caps for for one country uh, are allowed to change once uh, to a second country. Because there, there there are some players that are eligible for um, for like three or four countries depending on on where they're born. Anyone born in in the Channel Islands, for example. Automatically is available is uh, is already eligible to England, Scotland, and Wales, and maybe even Ireland through Northern Ireland. I'm not sure. Uh, so they 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 already have a, a series of choices now. If one of their parents happens to be um, Tongan and another one um, New Zealand, you can suddenly be uh, eligible for like five or six countries. Uh, and so I think changing more than once uh, would, would start to make a mockery of it. So I think I would I would reduce it to just one change. Um, and I think anyone who's done, and, and also I think I'd restrict it just to players who have played uh, a handful um, of caps rather than already have a twenty-cap test career, or or, or a, just you know, or a player that's played less than two minutes for a country. Less than what? Sorry, two. Less than two minutes for a country. Oh well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Do do do, in, do enlighten the viewers who, who don't know who you're referring to. Ethan Nathiwa played something like, uh, yeah, you, honestly, it was seconds for Fiji in the, I think, uh, 2007 World Cup. Uh, and, uh, I think it was 2007, yeah, 2007 World Cup. And, um, yeah, sort of, uh, meant that he could never play for anybody else. So Fiji picked him. He was on the bench, uh, and he came on with less than two minutes to go. So he played for Fiji, and all he really wanted to do was play for the All Blacks. He never really wanted to play for Fiji, but he got some bad advice. Uh, going back to what you're talking about with agents and the like. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I think any, yeah, anyone, anyone who's played less than five less, less than five should be allowed to change once, um, and, and that would be uh, that would be it um, for me. But you, so, you do you do you do have a risk though of someone you know, and we've seen it before when the eligibility or the that, that locked in type of thing was quite loose with the Frank Bunce, who was never Samoan anyway, but played for Samoa in one World Cup, and then the All Blacks thought, oh, yeah, we'll have him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Samoa's not going to be able to fight that, right? You take that Frank Bunce example. He's playing for Samoa, even though he's not eligible to play for Samoa, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so he's playing for Samoa, and the All Blacks come along and say, yeah, Frank will have you, thanks, and he's not going to turn down a black jersey, is he? No, no. The black jersey's worth an awful lot more than the blue jersey. Um, at the end of the day. Um, so yes, so they're, 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 like it's, it's the concept is good, but I think there would have to be some good tight rules around how the process of changing and why, where, when. Happens. Yeah, which is why I give it down to just a few caps because you don't want to so say you don't want people bouncing around between two yeah. or three different countries. Um, yeah. And, uh, Doing it like I, that. I, I, I agree with you there, Paul. You 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 have you look at the nature of um, dare I say it the other the other code where we had a situation of a guy who played Australian state of origin played for the Kiwis and then went back and played for the Australians again and you know uh, something like that we 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 don't want to tread that path where somebody can swap and swap again. If you are to go, you only make the one the one change. Um, I do wonder 
you know, you think of somebody like Issa Nafiwa, probably another one that comes to mind is Rupini Thathia Nambutha. It's a shame he actually played a few, he played minutes for Fiji and Sevens as well, because I actually think we would have seen the best of Thathia Nambutha if he'd actually played for, the, played for the All Blacks in a more professional in, environment. Um, we all saw basically what happened when he shot off, took that big money contract over in Argin. He sort of, uh, he was a master of his own, yeah, exactly, he was a master of his <laughs> own own demise, if you know what I mean. But I, but I can th- also think of other players who made early decisions. Joe Takori is a, is a player that I know Auckland tried to sign in the early days, but he had his heart pretty much set on, on playing for Samoa. And uh, you could also throw, throw the two Johnson brothers, Census and James Johnson, in, in that boat as well. You know, guys who made made up their mind very, very early in the piece. It's a, it's, 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 it's a tough one. I'm sorry, because Steve mentioned Rupini, I have to add. One, one of the interesting, you know, he, he spent that time in Argen, obviously went walkabout using an Aussie term, went to Fiji and disappeared, became big. And I remember when he came back and he played a few games for Northland at one stage after all that, and he was still big. Still had all the class in the world, made all the fantastic break down the wing, but ran out of puff at about the 22 and <laughs> basically stopped. Yeah, well, that's up. all. You know, that, I think that's all the conditioning. That's all the conditioning that you have when you go in that sort of professional environment. Unfortunately, yeah. some players when they when they do pick up, you know, professional contracts and they don't have the work ethic, sometimes. That does happen, especially in their uh, in their off seasons. You know, they've obviously been given this scrupulous amount of money. Yeah. Um, it's it's not quite solving the eligibility <laughs> um, problem in terms of what we're we're sort of talk, talking about, but it, it just it also gives you maybe a, a little bit of an insight into maybe how some of the player agents are also viewing this as well. They're probably talking to their athletes and saying, "Hey, listen, if you go through the the New Zealand system." We'll try and make you a. We'll at least try and make you a, a better player, have a better work ethic, and then, depending on your how you're valued by New Zealand rugby, then go from there. And I suppose for the player who's decided to take that jump, that's where their issues become long term if they don't become a, a regular feature in the All Blacks. Yeah, and I, I, we're talking about things here from a Southern Hemisphere point of view. I just want to. Uh, highlight a couple of players, or uh, I can't remember the actual names of the players, but a couple of instances that have happened in Europe. So, in in the some of the things we've had over there, where we've had players who have played for the under twenties. Now, uh, England has the Saxons, and so they call their the, the Saxons their second team, whereas Wales didn't doesn't have a second team or didn't for a while. I think they've just put them together now, uh, and they named their under twenties as their second team. So, if you play for the under twenties against Another country's under another country's second team, and if they named their under twenty side that, then you became uh, capped or, or locked in to Wales. Um, and we've had players who have tried to, who got, uh, who have um, argued that they thought that they didn't realise that that particular under twenties game was a capped locking one, um, and they thought uh, it wasn't. And so, and hence, and, and that's ended up with a player who uh, was selected by Scotland. Uh, who end up having to, where Scotland had to release them and say, no, sorry, we're, apparently you're not allowed to because you've played in this game for Wales uh, at under-20 level. And if we're talking about players making an early selection for who they're going to play for, 
that's an early selection. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, not a, I'm not a great fan of, the, of, of using the under-20s as your capture uh, team. I, I think you might want to check that. I, I don't believe they're playing for the second 15 of the country, whether it's the under-20, you know, what they're calling their second 15, the under-20s, or the Saxons, or for us, the New Zealand A. Uh, I don't believe that means that you're attached to the, a nation. I think you have to play a test match. Nope. I'm pretty sure. Nope, you can bet. Well, that, that's the recent change then, because there's, yeah. So New Zealand meant, New Zealand named basically the the, um, the Maori as their second team, um, and so there are very there are very few uh, Maori All Blacks uh, players who then try and play for another country. Uh, I, the, the whole nature of that team, um, you'll understand why. Uh, whereas the under twenties, uh, so I say England use their Saxons, Ireland use their Irish Wolfhounds. Uh, which is basically a B team, but Wales used to use their under-20s, Scotland used to use their under-20s. And so if, um, if for, for Wales-Scotland games, they were they would lock in, but for a Wales under-20s versus an England under-20s, it wouldn't. Um, and so well, those, kind of, those kind of um, situations do uh, can, can get very confusing for, for, um, for players. Well, let me put this out there then, very technical. That's just stupid. <laughs> There's no way. That the B team of a nation is the is the team because those are hugely experimental teams at times. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think B team is is should be considered a, a, a test cap nor nor New Zealand Maori considered yep. a test cap. You could test cap. you could you could you could arguably arguably say a, a sevens player is a is a test well is a test cap of, of sorts yep. because he's repre- he has represented his country. Um, to me, they, they, those are really the the only anomalies, in, in, in my opinion. Somebody who's yeah. played played sevens, so for for example, played played for New Zealand, taken a, a contract overseas, and then decides he wants to throw in his lot with his country of birth. So Jerry and Jared Hayne is what is an example of that who played um, a couple of minutes for uh, Fiji sevens in the London event in an attempt to get to the Olympics. Never played sevens again. Uh, and he apparently did. If he hadn't played that, he would have got a Super Rugby contract offer, at least uh, in Australia, to play for. So because Australians were trying to get, would, would like to get him to play for the Wallabies, or at least yeah. the opportunity to. Um, but because he played for, because he chose to play for Fiji in the London Sevens, that was uh, that contract went off the table. Now he hasn't got a problem with with uh, with that because he went and played for. He's back with Parramatta Eels, I think. Um, but anyway, he's he's he's. he's um, you say with the other the other overball code, he can get he can easily get work, so uh, it's not a big problem for him from that way. But yeah, no, the, the sevens does also um, capture you. Aust- Rugby Australia should thank Fiji for dodging a bullet, because <laughs> <laughs> no, he can't play for Parramatta. <laughs> really, oh, well. he'll be lucky. He'll be lucky to be playing um, playing rugby behind bars. Ah, okay. <laughs> I got, I guys, if you were looking, if you were, I know we had the. New Zealand ASB Rugby Awards last weekend, but if you were looking for an Australian Rugby Team of the Year, would it be the Fiji Drua? Yeah. <laughs> well, they play they play in the NRC. Just saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. true. Yes, maybe may that. Um, well, out of, out of the national team, yes. Uh, also, the, uh, the the international ones, the the uh, the Wallaroos uh, or the, the women's sevens, I think, have done pretty well. So. Um, actually, well, maybe not, because the New Zealand someone the the platforms won the competition. I'm not sure. Yeah, who you go for as a national team either. Um, 
So, so anyway, so keep going back to the eligibility. Residency is obviously raising up to five years. Um, are you comfortable with think five years is, is, is the right amount? Just over one World, World Cup cycle? Yes, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, as long as you hadn't played for New Zealand. Yeah. So, for example, if you hadn't played in the last World Cup, yeah. I don't think you can play for another team in the next World Cup. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. Okay, so so but the, the 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 new rules are if you, if you haven't played for anybody at all, and you live in a country for three years currently, then you yeah. get to you you can then play for that country, um, but that's raising up to five years after the uh, Rugby World Cup. So the interesting thing there will be is that obviously that'll be an impact to uh, established players. So let, let's take a Jared Payne type scenario. Yep. Um, three years actually goes by pretty quick. That extra two years does add actually quite a bit of time to it. I mean, you're talking as a percentage, two thirds extra time uh, added to before he could play for Ireland. So I think that's quite a big impact. But what you can see happening then is that some of the big clubs starting to target the, for example, what French rugby is doing, right? Going to the uh, to Fiji and targeting their 18, 19, 20 year old players. Taken back to Fiji. Now a five years uh, residency clause for those players before they could play for France is not so bad because they'll be 25 when they come out. You take a 23 year old or 24 year old, you apply a five year residence to me, to them, they're looking at 28, 29 and they're starting to possibly, not necessarily, possibly getting long in the tooth. So, um, you could see a, um, a, a, a uh, unwanted scenario where now club teams are starting to look at, uh, or, you know, or, or the island who are working as a national unit uh, looking to pick up kids out of the islands out of New Zealand at a much younger age. And uh, to be fair to Ireland, they, they, they have had a few players and a few project players, uh, so have Scotland, but generally they, are, they, they, they have gone for players over their 20s. Now, what's happened in France is that um, the to try and get more French eligible players playing in the league, so there are more available for the national team to be picked from. Uh, they, they they brought in a rule saying that um, X of your players had to be uh, basically French eligible, um, and to be French eligible, they had to play had to have gone through your um, academy system for X number of years, uh, and that's why you've seen the French team set up academies in Fiji and try bringing over players as young as thirteen, I think, even. Um, to try and get them basically eligible before they've before they're even adults um, into thing, which which is which is the unintended consequence uh, there, uh, and one that really needs to be lo- uh, sorted out and looked at much better because those players aren't being looked after. Not all those players are being looked after well enough, um, and again dumped out in the middle of France with next to no money and told, "Yep, tough, you know, you sacked, you're no longer our problem," um, and that kind of situation is just is horrible, um, definitely. Yeah. So I saw someone recently say in one of the forums I'm on that actually they, they don't think grandparents um, should be included as far as the uh, ethnicity or the uh, cult- or culturally as to, as to which um, of your eligibility. Do you think you should just be parents or are you happy with, um, with grandparents? No, I'd, I'd agree with that, actually. I'd say, no, nah, not grandparents. Um, ask Shane Health. He probably disagrees with grandparents as well now. <laughs> I was, I was, I was stole my thunder. I was about to mention them. <laughs> okay, go ahead. okay. So, so for our, for our for our European listeners, please do explain the joke. 
Actually, the European list is probably now better than the ones that aren't. So oh, basically, okay. it's called Granny Gate. Granny Gate. Um, Shane Howarth had a, a Welsh grandparent. Unfortunately, it wasn't his grandparent. Oh, no, right. I don't, <laughs> Steve, you want it? You got more details on it? Can you remember the exact details? Oh well, he felt Welsh. He felt <laughs> Welsh. <laughs> Boy, all. That's what he said after he played his first test. I felt Welsh. When I heard <laughs> this, it all came flooding back. Um, yep. So on the live chat, um, JP Sensational, um, he, uh, yeah, he says just parents. Now, I, I sat down with Felipe Levy uh, and tr- to try and uh, ex- uh, the, 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 um, last week to talk about a bunch of stuff. One of the things he sort of talked about was your. Tongan Samoan uh, communities in New Zealand see themselves as New Zealand Samoans or New Zealand Tongans, um, and they can be two or three generations um, in New Zealand, but they still see themselves as part of that culture. So, does that? I'm probably is, best place to answer, talk about that one actually, you know, um, because it's quite an interesting one. You know, I, I actually. Um, we're talking to a Sri Lankan, uh, first generation, well, first generation born here. Happens to be my doctor's son. He's a cardiologist. <laughs> um, but I was just asking him because of the Sri- New Zealand's playing the Sri Lankan cricket team. And I was just like, oh, so who do you support? New Zealand or Sri Lanka? And this is like, uh, oh, generally sort of tend towards Sri Lanka. So I found it interesting because myself, I'm about third generation, depending on which way you look at it. And, um, I've always been a Kiwi, always supported whether it's the All Blacks or, the New Zealand cricket team. Um, and, and what I put it down to is the fact is that it depends on the environment that you grow up in. I grew up with basically no Indian friends. Uh, all my friends were um, Maoris or Europeans, or, you know, and um, and I was a Kiwi. I was growing up, I was a Kiwi, whereas I've got cousins and um, friends of the family, Indians, who grew up immersed in Indian culture, even back in the 70s and 80s sort of thing. And so they still feel a bit Indian, whereas I actually don't feel very Indian at all. <laughs> so I think, you know, and, and obviously with what Philippa Levy's saying is that, um, if you're in South Auckland and you're in that Tongan community and you're immersed in the Tongan community, you grow up feeling Tongan as opposed to growing up necessarily feeling like a Kiwi. So yeah, I, I can understand how both it can work both ways. And just for those of you who don't, uh, who haven't seen me talk about this before, so I'm obviously English, hence I'm wearing the, the, the rose. Um, I'm uh, married but separated with to a, a, a Kiwi, um, Kiwi wife. Uh, one of my kids was born in uh, Hong Kong and the other one was born in, in, uh, in Singapore. And if you actually ask those, the, the kids, um, and they're, they're still very young, but they'll actually, they'll actually say, hey, I'm, I'm from Hong Kong, I'm, I'm, I'm not from New Zealand, I'm from Hong Kong. Um, now they've never been brought up in a, uh, in, in a in a in a sort of Chinese cultural environment because neither was neither their parents are Chinese. Um, they spent time in those countries uh, when they were young, but um, uh, and they'll still and, they, and when they get told when, when they have school um, kind of ethnic day and get told to um, wear clothes from where you're from, they'll both ask to put chum tongs on, um, which is kind of uh, yeah, kind of amusing. You have to kind of trying to. It's like, right, yeah, well, if that's where you want to feel you're from, then absolutely. Now, neither of those kids are entitled to uh, Singaporean or Hong Kong or Chinese passports because um, uh, that's another way of doing it, saying, okay, if you, you're allowed to basically play for a team where you're eligible to, for a passport from. But then again, 
that means that then the eligibility rules are different for different countries. And different countries have got different laws around uh, as, as to how you gain a passport from that country. Um, so it's um, the, the whole concept of where you're from and what country you're from and who you associate with is becoming a lot more fluid as people travel a lot more um, and being much harder to define. And, and that's a problem, isn't it? Is, is that it has to be defined in writing. Otherwise, you, you can't just let people just choose willy-nilly. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll give you even an, another example. On my wife's side, um, uh, one of her uncles uh, actually was immersed in sort of Maori culture. Um, he was in Wellington and with the Maori community down there, married a, a Maori lady, and uh, he probably had more of an affinity with the Maori culture than he did with the Indian side, actually, even. So um, it, it really does come down to who the people around you are, and and therefore it's sort of a, more of a sense of belonging to a group. Yep, um, and say, and that's that, that's a difficult one to do. And I think the with Auckland being the the biggest Pacifica um, city in the world. So there are more Tongans and Samoans um, uh, in, or at least Tongans, in uh, in Auckland than there are in any of the um, in any other place in the world. So even yes, even more than any Tongan city, uh, Tong. this is going to become a become a bigger and bigger issue uh, as we have to have more generations. They get more um, separated from being living in from uh, from yeah from actually living in the country, uh, even though the culture is as strong in South Auckland as it is actually back in Tonga. Um, and you can see that whenever Tonga play uh, any rugby games because suddenly the streets get blocked and every car's covered in red flags. Um, and uh, um, I don't know, is, is, that a, is that a relatively... Obviously, I've only been in New Zealand since 2014, so is, is that a relatively recent thing or has that, that happened for, like, decades? Because it feels like it's something that's sort of taken off over the last two or three years. So, uh, from my point of view, it's probably taken off since the 2011 World Cup, especially the, in, to, in the Tongan sense. Um, uh, they really sort of embraced that 2011 World Cup, uh, and that's the first time when you saw the streets lined or, or from the airport um, through to I think they were sort of like they came in through the airport and they were going to a rugby club as a initial sort of meet and greet location, and the streets were lined from the airport through to where that's somewhere in a hall in South Auckland, streets were lined with um, people holding, holding Tongan flags. So um, I, I know um, with the Samoan um, community, you haven't so much seen that with the Samoan flag so much, but when there's been a game on, you do see them turn up for the game, but not so much in the in the community. Steve, what do you reckon on that front? Yeah, I think it's almost now fashionable to 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 play for, to play for your, your, your country of birth. As as we're seeing with a lot of times that are now throwing throwing their head in with their country of birth, I just I just think with Samoa there's been a real backward step in terms of not just playing performance but administration level as well, and it's almost to a point talking to a lot of Samoans who either play rugby involved with coaching, and there's a lot of embar- embarrassment or a bit of a stigma that's attached with Samoan rugby at the moment. So yep. most families will basically tell tell me. I'd rather you try and make the All Blacks and worry about going, 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 going for Samoa. So, you know, if, you, if we had this the situation where they're where they're way more way more looking way more successful and 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 well run, I think you you might find you will get more Pacific Island players want to play for their 
their, their, their natural countries. We're seeing a little bit with, I think Fiji are doing a really good good job at the moment. They've obviously got a lot of players playing professionally around the world, but it just seems to me most Fijians want to play for Fiji. Obviously, you get the odd one that falls through the cracks, the likes of Waisaki Naholo, but I can't really think of too many other Fijians in, in, in recent times that have uh, turned the uh, the jersey of Fiji down. Although, ironically, you mentioned Issa Nastewa playing his one minute or 30 seconds. <laughs> seven, I seven think it was 30 seconds, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah. He probably, you know, it was probably more naive at the more naivety at, at the time. Guys, while you, you we've been chatting, I just uh, quickly looked up something on the, the internet. Anybody who wants to look at these regulations in and around eligibility or, or to play for representative teams, just jump onto um, www.worldrugby.org-files-registrations. That pretty pretty much. There's a lot of paper. There's a lot of, lot of paperwork in there. They look they look very much like the the rules of rugby as, as well. Laws as laws of rugby. Quit. The oh, laws, you get yeah. absolutely swamped laws. with uh, with with people saying rules. God, we get, we'll get we'll get lynched. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I I just one thing that's sort of playing out out in my mind. It's it's obviously something that world rugby. Whenever they get together with them and have their meetings and get together, it's obviously something that they they talk about and try to vote on it. But they obviously do get a wee bit of pushback in and in and around it. What what I would basically love to sort of find out and be a fly on the wall is what's the real reason behind the the actual pushback, if you know what I mean. I mean to say we know in our own minds what it could be, but I you know I kind of look at the home nations at the moment. I reckon rugby up there is pretty pretty healthy at the minute. Um, with, with Very the competitions healthy. they've got, I think so. I, I don't, I really don't think they should be threatened. I don't think either, either New Zealand, Australia, or even you know South Africa, or even France should be should be threatened either. So, you know, maybe the, 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 maybe there should be something in there that that allows a player somehow, whether whether it's a stand down. I actually do, do believe those tier two nations have got to be strengthened because I just get the impression. You know, somebody like Samoa, especially they, you know, they just seem to be falling by the wayside a little bit. You know, you you only have the results. Just, I think the the Samoa thing really just comes down to the governance of the Samoan Rugby Union because you look at Fiji are finally, and there's a lot of Fijians running around in um, European rugby, and they're getting good levels of competition. They're getting, they're learning that discipline that we talked about with uh, Rupini. Um, you know, and, and we saw that come to fruition in the autumn internationals when Fiji beat France, right? And it's just like you, you can see that they're starting to build that self-belief and the ability to win games at that level. And, and Samoa's always – they're probably going back, you know, in terms of the Pacific Islands, they were they were in that position long before any other Pacific Island. The problem is is the running of their union. And that, I think that's the biggest issue. And then what you say, you know, you get Samoan players that can be embarrassed of the way things are being run and want to distance themselves. They sort that out. They will get people going back saying, I want to play for Samoa, and you'll get a roll-on effect. But yeah, it, it, it sort out the governance, eh? Oh, it, it, absolutely. I agree. You know, you saw that nice little roll that Fiji had on their, on their autumn tour. You know, they, it, it's, it started a bit tough for them, but you could see flashes of brilliance or what they're, what they're capable of. And the longer they were together, by the time they hit Fiji, man, they, they were pretty much cranking. And 
they showed yep. their good side. And I, the other thing is, I think they got a lot of self belief. And I know it's a different game, but I think winning the Olympic gold sevens was a big thing for their rugby holistically as well. I, I was reading some of the some of the chatter about this Fiji team on the social network before they went up there, and there was, there was a bit of confidence coming coming through from a, a lot of the supporters up there. Hey, if your sevens team can do it, your fifteens team can do it. So, I, you know, I'd like to I'd like to think that if these teams can improve somewhere along the way, eligibility won't be so much a problem. Won't be so it much won't a be the guys. issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I mean, in that Fiji side, success breeds success. Yeah. And you, you talk about the uh, the governance side of things now. Both Fiji and Samoa, I believe, have now been accepted onto the World Rugby Council. Um, and part of that eligibility was uh, around the government. So things like actually submitting uh, audited accounts um, and things like that, which they um, which uh, is a, a, a new thing for them. Uh, now, I don't think Tonga's got a, a seat there yet. I think it was just Fiji and Samoa. Uh, but that's a step in the right, it's another step in the right direction. Are they still stealing kit um, that uh, that the players should have and, and things like that? Maybe, but um, baby steps. Well, it's a long, long way to go, isn't it? Because even in this lot of autumn internationals, Samoa didn't get paid. Uh, you know, there were, the players were either got bugger all or didn't get paid um, for that. Like when they played, and I think was it the English players were talking about that donate. I, I can't remember the exact details, but you know, English players would donate some of their. Um, fee match fee to to go towards paying the Samoans, so uh, I think it's got it's it's I think it's a carrot that's been dangled. Here's your seat on the governing bo- on the you know world stage. You better live, better start um, pulling your socks up and and running the sport properly in your own country. Oh, definitely. Having talked to, um, I've gone blank to the guy's name. I'm sorry. He's now he now works in uh, cricket administration, I believe. But um, he was the uh, the general manager for World Rugby in um, Asia and and the Pacific. Uh, I, I had the uh, good fortune to do a, a phone interview with him. And one of the points that he was saying is that we we can't mandate and force them um, to act in a certain way. But what we can do is provide education. Um, and provide carrots to encourage better governance uh, in the Pacific, and and that's exactly this is exactly where uh, for, for all countries in in in, in uh, tier two rugby, not just the Pacific Islands. I mean, you just got to look at what's happening in Europe around Romania and Spain, not managing to figure out player eligibility. Uh, so, look, this is not a um, not a thing just about it's about a lot of the tier two nations in the fact that they just don't have the cash um, to to have expensive administration or large administration yeah, organizations yeah, but also yeah, the yeah in, in these in these countries you said yeah basically we've got to try to carrot and education to try and improve them we can't we can't use the stick and say do this or else um, <laughs> I, I think the you know there's two fold carrots are twofold uh, like you're getting for example Samoa gets a, a seat on the on the on the world front um world stage and then that they get the finances to be able to govern themselves correctly. So, the, the, you know, the money's given to them by World Rugby. They net, unfortunately, in the past, it's not been handled correctly. Yep. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's that's most of the – anything else on eligibility, or should we, uh, uh, should, 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 we, should we move on to another really uncontentious subject? Well, I, 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 just, I just don't think – just on that, um, I, I would like to see something done. I don't like to see the fact of – 
players. I mean, we talked about it with that schoolboy level um, about the efficacies of uh, poaching from one area to another. I think it makes a mockery of um, world rugby if all you're going to do is going to grab players from other countries and wait till they become eligible to play for you. They're not, you know, I mean, you know, we've had it in New Zealand and other sports with America's Cup and we have that debate about, you know, is it a, is it your country's team if you're grabbing players from around the world? I don't know. I don't know. I, for me personally, I want to see players from the country as opposed to players that they've grabbed from somewhere else. Actually, you've 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 got to mention one of the things that that um, Filippo uh, mentioned. He was like, "Is it your national team if your coaching staff aren't from your aren't from your country as well?" Oh. Um, now, the America's Cup. If we go back far enough, uh, you had to make your boat in your own country and then sail it to the event. Which obviously meant the people who were at the event had a massive advantage. You, uh, generally, America's Cup was between America uh, and Great Britain initially, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. so if you were hosting it in America, um, and someone's going to sail a racing yacht across the Atlantic, um, you've got to make it a bit more sturdy than if you've just got to sail it out the harbour and race, <laughs> which gives you a little bit of a disadvantage. So. Um, the, the rules of, of, around America's Cup have changed over the years, but yeah, initially everything had to be home based uh, and come from your country. Um, which is an interesting I'm, I'm a, I'd like, like what Filippo Levy says, I'd like the coaches to also represent the country, but I'm a bit more relaxed on that. <laughs> um, and, and when you're looking at uh, how we've managed, how, how some of the uh, tier two nations have been able to uh, up their game quite dramatically by getting foreign coaches in to help because they just don't have the expertise uh, as well. It, it's, it is a way of, of progressing teams. So, yes, I'm, I'm uh, interesting concept, but not one that I think we're ready for just yet. Um, so moving on, the new TMO protocol um, during November. So everyone was moaning about TMO having too much influence in the game. Uh, and so World Rugby said, you know what? Okay, we hear you, um, and we'll have a new protocol saying that um, uh, that, that you have to we have to reduce the amount of times. It has to be clear and obvious for the TMO to be referred to. So the TMO is only, only to be referred to for foul play, um, and uh, the uh, and yeah, it has to be something that, so that when the referee has spotted something, something clear and obvious, rather than. Uh, going straight to Timo, and the Timo was specifically not allowed to talk on the run to the uh, the referee, which happened previously, um, and, and we've seen. Uh, and um, so this there's a good article by um, where is it uh, rugbyandthelaw.com, um, and he said right, so basically that because they can't discuss on the run with the uh, Timo. Um, basically, the, the referees were in, but had to make the decision with what they could see. Now, they can see less if they haven't got the TMO talking in their ears who can see 10 screens um, or 10 camera angles and tell them what's happened. Uh, and hence, they're going to make more mistakes because they can't see as much. Um, what were your thoughts about the, the protocol over, the, over November? Because they definitely came out and said that, it, that uh, they didn't, they, the intent hadn't been to reduce the number of cards. Well, you could have you could have fooled me <laughs> when, it, when it comes to cards. Um, I, 
Listen, I, I just thought the I thought the officials were a little bit more lenient from what I'd seen in in in, in, pre, in previous seasons. You know, we, we obviously we we've all spoken about Owen Farrell, and you know, I reckon a year ago he probably gets a yellow card. So I I, I do think there was a little bit of improvement where referees, as a, as opposed to applying the rule book and and coming down hard on players, they were they were actually looking at it. A little bit, a little bit more sensibly. I, I didn't have too much problems with some of the stuff I, I saw from the TMA or, or the officials um, during the autumn series. Um, obviously, the big one, the one that comes to mind is the um, is the is the Sam Underhill try against England. You know, they 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 referred it, referred that one to the TMA. TMA probably got the decision right at the end of the day. Um, but I think the whole process was was pretty much what what upset a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know. It's still a work in progress in my book. I I sort of think that they've got it wrong in the sense that the TMO can't look at things on the roll. I mean, offside, which the one that um, Steve's referring to, that's not something that I want the TMO to look at um, on the go. That's uh, the ref's call on whether he wants to have a look at it or not. But foul play, if the ref in, in the game... If the TMO goes from, uh, hang on, he, he can he can go away and have a look at something on the side before even talking to the referee. So he could talk to the director or whoever he needs to and say, can you bring up me, bring me up vision of X, Y, Z? And then he can have a look at it and go, that that um, requires um, closer attention. And then he can go to the referee on the field saying, we have an incident that we need to look at or review. And I don't have a problem with that. The other thing that can also happen, I'm more than happy for, is the referee, instead of stopping the game, can say to the TMO, can you have a look at that for me? And so they can carry on with the play. TMO can come back and say, no, nah, nothing yeah, nothing to see here, move along. Um, or, no, we need to stop the game to have a look at it. What's wrong with that? Because effectively, you're trying to make the game more free-flowing by doing that, as opposed to saying, we want less involvement from the TMO. I think we talked about previously... Um, the fact is that at the end of the day, we want the, if you want the right winner, you want the right call. And that's what it's about. Yep. Uh, just very quickly, uh, Johnny Whopper, um, uh, should, uh, so would the All Blacks want Joe Smith? Uh, uh, question in the live chat. Uh, the answer is yes, he will be on the shortlist at the very least. Um, there's, there's, there's no toys about that. Uh, yeah, yeah I have to agree to ask you. I think, especially that on the run where, where the referee's that, referee goes, check. Um, let me know what happened just there, please. Check, 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 check. I mean, that just, just it, it's a no-brainer. Of course, that's what the ref, that's what the um, we, we should treat. To me, the TMO should be treated like uh, another uh, assistant ref, no, no differently. Yep. Uh, and yeah, he's yep. just he's another yep. he, he's he's part of the team of four, um, and you treat him and you use him as any as an assistant oh. ref um, would do. So if he spots something live on the camera, he tells you about it. I also wonder sometimes if some of the like I find it really confusing sometimes when referees will basically go try or no try. Can you give me a reason why I shouldn't shouldn't give it give a try? Where I reckon it, we, I reckon basically it should be try or no try. You know, it's yes, it, 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 yes. It, it's simple. Yes, and then the TMO can come back. Yep, that's a try. You know, and it's it's yep. quick, it's clean. Yep. Yeah, it's scored a try. Or else he can come back and say, "No, it's been it's been held up." And hopefully the referee is seeing the same vision as well. So I just think 
sometimes the, the four, well, there's four officials at the end of the day, your two ARs, the referee, and, and the TMO. I just think they've actually got to work a little bit harder together because together. When, I notice in, when I notice in every, what I do notice in every game, they all seem to be on a little bit of a different different song sheet. I mean to say, and, and it, ironically, that kind of came to a head third test Bloods All Blacks last year. I have moved on too, by the way, just everybody out there. I've actually moved on. You're just using it as an example. You've moved on, but, which, but, but before we finish, we will talk about Wayne Barnes and the forward pass against France back in, uh, back in Wales. <laughs> Actually, now that you mentioned it. <laughs> well, actually, more no, importantly, no, go on, go on, the yellow Stephen. card to Luke McAllister. <laughs> sorry, sorry, go on, Stephen. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's all I want from these guys because what I'm sort of getting the the impression you want your officials to be totally totally con- consistent all the time and pretty much have the have the same feel in terms of what's going on, but I just get. Get the feeling there's a there's a little bit of um, sometimes a little bit of interference. Sometimes it comes from the AI. You can actually hear the hear the comms to the to the referee if you if you know what I mean. And sometimes you'll even hear the referee say, "Oh, no, I saw that. I didn't think there was much in it. Just keep the game keep the game flowing." Yep. Um, but but I think those those key decisions when it's try try or no try, just have one say: try or no try. Well, that was it, wasn't it? So, so, so previously, the, the old questions were: you either said um, uh, the you would say either any reason I can't award the try, or try no try, um, and effectively they've changed that now to be a bit clearer, which basically means the um, the 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 no reason to not award the try. Now they say the on-field decision is try. Um, TMO, TMO, please have a look. And the um, try no try. The on-field decision is no try. Um, tell me if you can actually see a try. Um, so the um, so to me that's the uh, it's I'm happier with I'm, I'm I'm happy with that with with having two two questions uh, depending on what the referee has seen. Uh, but I think the way that they say it now is clearer to the general public as to what they mean. Uh, basically, Ooh. I think it's a try. Tell me otherwise in case I missed anything. Or I think it's not a try. But if you can actually see a grounding, then hey, it's a try. Um, it's kind of the, the bigger issue, the bigger issue of TMOs is the fact is that the TMO getting the wrong, making the wrong decision, making the wrong call. That is ridiculous to me. You know, the TMO's got all these angles, all these cameras, and somehow manages to come up with the wrong decision when, you know, obviously, apart from the home side, you know, the, how could I, the, 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 the team that's not being, aff- that's being offended, uh, the offender, uh, for want of a better term, you know, but they'll, they'll see it a different way, obviously. But um, the TMO should see it like all neutrals that are watching it and go, and, and then you're left shaking your head. How the hell did the TMO make that that call? <laughs> yeah, there are a few like that, but we are all human, mm. unfortunately, or maybe no, fortunately. Well, no, 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 no. Sorry, I'm sorry. I, I can't, I can't buy that. I can't buy that. When you know the laws. So you're supposed to know the laws inside out, and when you've got something in front of you, look. If it's a fifty-fifty call, if it's like, oh, his foot might have just grazed the line before he put the ball down, we're all okay with that. We understand it's a fifty-fifty call, and he might have just seen it one way. You might see it another way. But it's when they actually apply the law incorrectly, like going back to that third lines test. 
<laughs> I think we've got Nova. <laughs> or, 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 or perhaps you know, if you go we, back to a spear all, tackle in a line in a line series before that. Um, yeah, no, but no, no, but hang on. No, just to, just to use that as an example again. You know, you go back to a, 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 um, um, an incorrect call by the referee on the field. He's like, hey, you just missed something. But when the TMO has footage in front of them and sort of says, oh, hang on, to apply the law to the video footage that I have in front of me, this is what has happened and this is the outcome. And when he can't do that, there is a problem. He shouldn't get that wrong when all he is doing is applying the law. Okay, so we take, we'll take the ball has touched a player and then it's gone forward and his, the same team has touched the ball in that position, caught it or played at it. That's in the rule books. It's an easy decision to make, right? Yeah. That's that. So obviously that sticks in our head because of the impact it had, and that's why I'm using an example. When you have a scenario like that, there's no excuse where you're just simply applying the law as stated, you shouldn't make an error. Yep, and uh, the, yeah, I mean, and obviously at the time that was called a, an accidental offside rather than a, um, uh, rather than offside. And uh, they said, well, yeah, well, did he play it or not? But, yeah. I, but one, one, one question I, I do like, like the officials asking is when a try scored, it's gone through hands, and sometimes oh, that do that look forward, and the referee will ask for clear and obvious, and uh, I I I I actually like that because you know in some cases even you're even as a viewer you're shaking your head and you go oh man it could have been forward but it wasn't that it wasn't that obvious, so let it go yeah. it's a, it's a try. Then you get some that were. That get completely missed. Where whoa, that was forward, and that was that was missed by four officials. Those those ones great. They great me a little bit. Yeah, not not that we're talking about two thousand and seven. No, no, no. no we, 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 will, <laughs> we will we will quickly talk about two thousand and fifteen, where straight uh, Nigel Owens gets on the phone to his dad um, after the game. The first thing his dad says to him is, uh, "How did you miss that forward pass?" Um, <laughs> 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 um, Look, I mean, just just to, in terms of the forward pass scenario, if you actually probably analysed it, you'd probably get a huge percentage of passes in a rugby game that are actually forward, you know, or, or can be um, taken as being forward because of the way physics works. So no, because the way say, the, like, the, because the way they interpret the bloody uh, oh, uh, this 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 is one that really grates me. No, no, I'm not talking about backwards out of the hands. I'm not talking about backwards out of the hands. But the fact is that if you've got a player running forward, he yep. passes that ball, there yep. is definitely a chance from the position that he's passed it, even though he's passed it backwards, that it will go for, um, with the momentum of the pass, it'll go past the uh, parallel line. That means that it's a forward pass. Fine, right? throw, so throw, throw actually, the backwards then. That's my, that, that's my argument. That's what you should be doing. But I mean, yeah, that's why it's sort of like, you know, it's a clear and obvious that you're looking for, and we're happy with the clear and obvious, you know. Yep. Type scenario. Yep, we are. Um, I, th- I think we're pretty much done, boys. Unless you have a any particular urge to talk about something. No, not from. Not, not, yeah, no, not 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 really. I, I mean, say it's you know the the game that we love so much has just evolved so much. And technology, it's 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 gone a lot faster. There's a lot more ball handling than there was 
in the past, I reckon it was a heck, to me, it was a heck of a lot easier to to um, to be an official in the in the game in the in the older days. It, it wasn't so so fast. It went from set piece to to set piece. But I, you know, I know a lot of officials take a lot of criticism in the modern day game, but you only have to go back and look at some old footage, and you just see you watch referees and the arms going like that, and the arm, and you're wondering. I don't even I don't even know if they actually knew. I think there was a lot of guesswork. There was a lot of guesswork going on. There'd be times where the ball would be bobbling around, and you wonder how he didn't find a forward pass or a knock on in that particular. Or the fact that, that particular. So I, 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 just... yeah, well, I, I wrote an article for the Run of Sports last Wednesday, uh, and one of the points I made it made in it was um, we don't know how good we've got it, or we don't appreciate how good we've got it at the moment with yeah. the current refs. Um, I think yeah. it's. Uh, all you do is look at what happened in the NFL relatively recently when they had the uh, the, the lockout of their referees over a dispute about pay um, and uh, well, and also working conditions. Uh, and so they locked out their regular refs and then went and got um, high school and college refs to referee instead. And after three rounds of absolute howlers of decisions, uh, the NFL caved in and uh, gave the normal the the, the professional refs uh, the deal they that they needed or they wanted. And, and hey, presto, they were let back in again. Um, and suddenly everyone realised quite how good their referees were. I think we, we would very quickly learn how, how good our current crop of referees are if we were to turf them all out and try to get in, get in a new lot. Oh, hey, Steve, yeah. as, as John Clark would say, we don't know how lucky we are. We, we are. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a very contentious game to... It's a very you know contentious game to, to referee. It's, it's all in the... A lot of it's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, who's actually got the whistle in his hand? And I, I often ask a lot of people who moan who moan about referees. Have you ever refereed before? And they go, "Oh no, but that's a job I wouldn't like." <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I, I I just shake my head. Listen in the main. I think even I can think back in my own day. All you ever asked for was a an official who was consistent with with his calls. He may not have been maybe person personality wise the best official, and you're wondering sometimes what he was doing. But at least he was consistent in his interpretation. Of the rules, and I, I just think in the main, it's a, it's a work on what what you've got to realise. These referees have got coaches; they're actually like players. They're critiqued, and um, even our top referees. I'll tell you what, you, you can find out we don't see a lot of. Um, I've just forgotten his. Um, I've just forgotten his name. Who refereed the 2011 World Cup? Jubea. Yep. Jubea. You know, I, 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 I thought he was going to be a referee that was going to have a long career. If you know what I mean, but it just seems like even he's he went back in the in the picking order, went back and 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 did sevens. But there there are some really good officials around. I think <clears throat> obviously um, Nigel Owens, um, you know, even the even the um, much maligned Wayne Barnes. I, I think he's 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 actually right up there as a referee. Probably the only the only issue and what people how people should look at it is he probably got that quarterfinal when he was too inexperienced at the end, at the end of the day. And I think that's the way <clears throat> that's the way we should look, look at that. I remember Steve Walsh, who I reckon was a was a pretty good referee. Um, you know, once again, he's a guy who um, <clears throat> who had, who basically got to be a top referee at a very very young age. 
I think Glenn Jackson's a, a very just, just, very to, just to go back to Steve Walsh, I mean, um, the, the only problem was, was he would uh, checking his hair in the uh, in the big screen. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey, talk, talk about how the game has evolved. Uh, next week we are looking at law variations. Um, we, we've recorded a show for Christmas Day, so at eight pm on Christmas Day, um, hash for every chat will come out, um, and we'll be looking at some old laws that we think could make refereeing easier for these guys. Um, then um, I'm not sure we reached any consensus, but um, you go and have a listen and let us know what you think about those about about those ones. Um, and then on uh, and, uh, and then on New Year's Day um, at 8 p.m. we'll have another show coming out where we're looking at our World 15 of the year. So check out those um, two shows; they are coming along. Um, and uh, I have an article coming out tomorrow on the Running Sports uh, saying is rugby just uh, legalised cheating? So again, uh, a lot of uh, uh, stuff coming out about laws and TMOs while there's not much r- rugby on from a Southern Hemisphere point of view. Um, thank you very much, guys. Uh, thank you very much, Stephen, for joining us this evening. Hey, and, uh, no, no problems. And thank you very much, Arshwin. Thank you. Um, goodbye, everybody. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Um, and um, there'll be no All Blacks edition tomorrow night. We'll take, that's taking a rest um, until after the new year. Um, but uh, don't forget to subscribe to this channel um, and uh, the whole YouTube algorithm um, has the artificial intelligence has told you if you've got this far you'll love these two videos so go away um, and uh, the, the uh, artificial intelligence can't be wrong there's no name